0: Hey folks, welcome to the Sermon's podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. We've had a crew of 81 uh, middle school students and leaders this week in West Virginia having a great experience at camp. I've heard great reports from Pastor Robbie. And so I'd love to pray for that team as they make their way back home today and just thank God for what's taking place. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for uh, your grace in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that grace has touched the lives of middle school students and leaders this week as they've spent time in West Virginia, worshiping together, playing together, building relationships together, and growing in Christ together. I pray, Lord, as they come home, they'd be filled up with you and that nothing would take away from the experience they've had. That you'd protect the seeds of faith and grow them to full bloom. Thank you, God, for our leaders. Thank you for the students and their families. Bless them. As we look to your word, God, we pray you'd grow us. And we truly would um, grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. We invite you in our hearts now. We invite you to speak to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the midst this series called Be Like Jesus. Uh, we're in the book of Philippians. We're starting Philippians 3 today. And I want to jump straight to, to verse 1 of Philippians 3. We do encourage you, as Lynn just pointed out, to have the scriptures with you. Read the scriptures along with us, whether that's in digital format or hard copy format, it doesn't matter to us. Have a notebook, take some notes, write down questions. That's an important part of this whole process. We want to be students of God's word together. I'm going to be reading, by the way, from a, a translation of the Bible that, that's a little bit off. What you're going to see on the screens this morning. I grabbed an older version of the NIV. They've updated a couple of phrases here and there. Let's begin in Philippians 3 chapter, I'm sorry, verse 1, where Paul says this. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. There's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Listen, joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord, joy is to the be the mark of the followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, joy is to be a part and a mark of your life. Paul is saying here like, hey, I keep repeating myself over and over and again, and I don't mind doing it because rejoicing is that important in your life that I'll keep on repeating it. I'll say it over and over again, no big deal to me because I want you to get the point that rejoicing." incredibly important. It's the mark of the Christian. And we're not just talking about being happy. That's not what this is. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. In other words, there's joy, there's great joy from this confidence that we have. And the confidence is this, that we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that we are rooted in knowing him and God knowing us through Jesus Christ. And that is the source of our joy. That's the reason why we rejoice. And he says it's a safeguard. He says it's a safe place to be. You know, that makes sense when you think about what's going on in the world. A lot of people are discouraged. They look what's happening in the world. They consider what's happening in their own lives, their own health crisis, whatever it might be. And you can be discouraged. Paul says, look, it's a safeguard to your heart that you can can trust in Christ and you can rejoice in the knowledge that God knows you through Jesus Christ and that you know him through Jesus Christ. This is the source of rejoicing. And so Paul says, as a safeguard to your hearts, rejoice. Let me give you some fodder. Let me give you some reason to rejoice this morning. I just came back last night from a week in Guatemala. We were there on a mission trip, a couple people from our church, another guy from the city of Pittsburgh that we're friends with. We had an incredible experience with our Guatemalan brothers and sisters. Here's a picture of the team. Uh, in the photo there uh, with me, you see Matt Geppert in the center. Matt is the president of SEAPC, who we partner with at the Missions. Then next to him you have our wait, where's Malachi? There he is. Malachi's in there. Malachi Mawinney, who was with us and did an incredible job on the trip. He was such a great witness to Christ, such a, a man of, of authority and maturity. I'm so grateful for Malachi. And then along with, with Malachi, we had Donna White, who was a great presence in our team, a source of wisdom, great questions. We're considering a partnership there with Hector and Debbie, who are also in that picture. They are Guatemalan, and and we are partnering potentially with them, uh, a ministry called Asofe that's working with kids from the slums of Guatemala. Great experience. One of the places we went to is called La Limonada. I got a picture here of La Limonada. The name, as you might see, is is lemonade. It's kind of reflected in there, lemons, reflecting sour people. And the reason that it's reflecting sour people is that this is a hard place to be, and it always has been. La Limonada is incredibly poor, it's the largest slum in Central America, and there's a ton of poverty there, there's a ton of lack there, there's fatherless there, lessness, fatherlessness there, there's a, a lack of hope that pervades the place. It's a place where there's, there's no system of garbage removal. It's a place where there's little education. It's a place where where there seems to be darkness kind of in the streets. You feel It's this labyrinth of concrete slab homes with very narrow corridors where people are crammed on top of each other. Tough place to be. We had an opportunity to go there and and visit Lali I'm so glad that we did. And we walked through that place and met the people who lived there, and we prayed with people. We visited with a little church. Let me show you a picture of this little church, but I say little church, sweet little church as big as one of the rooms in our church. And these folks have, have been really being a bright light in this dark place, we're so grateful for them. And uh, we had a chance to have lunch with them. Now one of the things about where this particular church is located is that it's right in the midst of the, the gang warfare, the cartels. This is a big deal in La Limonada, lots of, of gang warfare going on. In fact, if you could see, I don't know if you could see it, but there, there are dents from bullets. And the iron doors of that church. In fact, the night before we walked through these little corridors, there was a gang war that happened right in front of that place. Gunshots being fired, teenagers, fatherlessness, fatherless uh, t- uh, teens who were, who were just, you know, filled with, with anger and hate, and they're part of this, and they're trying to to make some money and and to to express their feelings in an awful way. At one time, after a church service there, someone took a grenade and threw it out, and some woman was wounded by what happened there. A really, really tough place. These, These great people, these brothers and sisters, invited us in to have a meal with them while we were visiting La Limonada. And as we ate the meal, the gang guys were outside playing soccer, right in front of the church, blasting their music. And evidently, they do this kind of thing often in the church while the church is meeting to intimidate them. And truthfully, the church is kind of intimidated by it all. I mean, how can you blame them with grenades going off and and bullets hitting their doors? And so they closed the doors. And while we were eating, there was a sense of fear that kind of crept in around the table. You could feel it. But something amazing happened. Malachi, and Matt Geppard got up outside and they went out there with those guys, they opened the doors with the loud music and the soccer playing, and they joined them in playing soccer. Now listen, because I've taken a pledge never to embarrass the church family, I refrain from playing soccer. You don't want to see this boy playing soccer. But I stood and watched them and it was great, like a smile came over the faces. It was incarnational, what was happening here. This little corridor, 75 feet of space, they're playing soccer, running into each other. It was intense, really great, and it changed the mood. And as I was sitting there, I was praying, I was like, Lord, I would love if we could have an opportunity to pray with these guys. Well, lo and behold, the soccer game ends, and I said to Hector, who was our interpreter, hey, can we get together and pray with them? And these guys actually agreed that they would allow us to pray for them. They stopped the music. They stopped the music, and we prayed. Now listen, as I I was getting ready to do this, I didn't know any of the songs, they're all in Spanish. But the last song that was playing was a song that I recognized from my college years. And so I opened my mouth, embarrassed the church after all, and said, hey, I know the words of this song. Part of the chorus says this, the refrain is this, some of you will know the song. It, It goes like this, here is something I can't understand. It says that in the refrain over and over again. I remembered this from the 90s. And so I took that and I said, hey guys, Listen to your song you were just playing. I want to say this: here is something that I can't understand—how God loves us, why He would love us in our sin. And I talked about my own sin, and I talked about Jesus and how Jesus has paid for our sins, and how there's this great opportunity that we have. I can't understand it—that God would forgive us in Jesus Christ, even of the worst of sins. And I and I said to these guys, I said, listen. If you would love to receive the forgiveness of Jesus today, I simply ask you to look up and look in my eyes. If you want to repent of your sin, if you realize that you've done dark things, things that you can never repay, I want you to look at me, and I would love to express to you that you are forgiven in Jesus' name. And four of those guys, tough guys, four of those guys looked up, one with tears in his eyes, and they received the forgiveness of Jesus. What a powerful moment it's all God. It was amazing. Listen, this is why we rejoice. Why why do we rejoice? Because there's hope for the sinner, not just for gangbangers in Guatemala. There's hope for you. And we're all in desperate need, aren't we? And so Paul says, hey, rejoice. Why do you rejoice? Because God knows you. Because you know God through Christ. And so therefore, we can rejoice. No matter what our circumstances in, whether we live in the hardest part of town or the best part of town, whether we have great health or we have terrible health, we can rejoice because of what God has done. We rejoice. You have a reason to rejoice this morning. Let's go back to the text. Picking up in Philippians 3 again, verse 2. Thank you for allowing me to share that testimony with you. I think it fits with what we're going to talk about right now. Going back to verse 2 again. Watch out for those dogs, Paul says, in the midst of this rejoicing. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Listen, there was a war going on in the Philippian church. There's a war going on in La Limanada. A war going on in the church in Philippians, in Philippi rather. And and what was going on there was that there was a question, there was a debate, there was an ongoing argument about this question, who are the covenant people of God? You see, there were Gentile Christians and there were Jewish Christians. And the Jewish Christians who were there were saying, hey, who's in, who's out? We're Jews you're Gentiles, you need to add some things. You need to add some things to your faith so that you can be a covenant person of God. That was the nature of the question. Who's in, who's out? Now, Paul doesn't dispel the tension. Paul doesn't say, hey, hey, let's not talk about it. Can't we just all get along? Can't we agree to disagree? Paul doesn't say that. No, Paul leans into this tension. And he takes it on, head on right here. And, and, and the reason why he's so fired up is because the gospel itself was at stake. The, the heart of the gospel was at stake. What these people were leading the Philippian Christians, the Gentile Christians, to believe is that somehow they had to put on a a uniform. They had to put on a different self in order to be right with God, to be a part of the covenant people of God. This was not some polite theological difference that they had. This isn't like, hey, a debate between modern worship and traditional worship. It's not that. This wasn't uh, some denominational nuance they were fired up and fighting about. This was at the heart of the gospel, and so Paul goes head on. Because there's no compromise in this case. Paul would not compromise the purity of the gospel. So he doesn't dispel the tension. He leans into it. And Paul knows that the way they're going to be unified is by taking this kind of thing head on. So here's what he says. He says, look out for those dogs. Check it out. So back in these times... The, the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish people would refer to the Gentiles as dogs. They were Gentile dogs. That's how they talked about them. They saw them as the worst kind of people, people who had no value, people who certainly had no part of God and no part of the family of God. And so they called them dogs. So Paul turns the table. He's, he's purposely being provocative here. and He says, you're the dogs. You're the real dogs. Those of you who are trying to say that that, that these Christians, these new Christians need to convert to Judaism, you're the real dogs. He called them out. He says, look, no, you don't have to convert to Judaism. It would be like us telling those young men on the streets of Guatemala, hey, we're, we're glad you've received the forgiveness of Christ, now you need to become an Anglican, or now you need to become Catholic, or whatever denomination you want to put into the blank. No. He says, this isn't a part, this isn't, this isn't foundational knowing Christ, you're the real dogs. The, the, there's not a sense of you having to convert to Judaism in order to be a part of the family of God, the covenant family of God. And then he calls them evildoers. He calls them people who do evil, those men who do evil, evildoers. That's because they were law followers. The Jewish Christians even, were law followers, and they were placing their confidence in their ability to obey the ritual and ceremonial and ethical law of, of, of the Jews. And this is the modern-day equivalent, essentially of someone saying, "Well, I'm a good person." Paul says, "Look, no, you're not a good person. In fact, you, you need to recognize that you're an evildoer." And so he calls them and says, "You evildoers. You think you're pure." You think you've got this pedigree, dogs, evildoers. He's taking a head on. Knowing that, he calls out their, their reliance on performance. He's talking about circumcision here when he talks about the mutilators of the flesh. Again, very provocative. And, and, the, and the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians even, were wearing this, this circumcision they had like it was a badge of some sort. It's a weird badge. But it was a badge they were considering they were wearing. That somehow they were proud of this, and they felt like anyone else who wanted to be a part of the covenant family of God, even if you are one who trusts in Christ, that you also had to be circumcised. Paul likens this to the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. Write that down and check that out this week. And here's what he says, he says, you know how back in those days, the prophets of Baal would cut themselves, they would mutilate themselves as a way of trying to manipulate their God into action? That's what you're doing. You're doing the same thing, you mutilators of the flesh, is what he says. So Paul calls them out, and he describes this unholy trinity of performance and purity and pedigree, that people are relying on their pedigree. The fact that they're Jews, the people are relying on their own purity, their ability to follow law, and, then, and their own performance. And Paul says no, that's an unholy trinity. But here's what he points out, he says, the ones who are really the circumcision, the ones who are really the covenant people of God are those who worship the trinity, who worship in the trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That's what he says, God the Father, I mean, you see it here, he says, who, who glory in Christ, Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh that they worship by the Spirit of God. He says, look, the ones who worship by the Trinity, this is the Trinity that matters, not your purity and your pedigree and your performance, that you worship God the Father. He's the primary target of our praise. We worship God out of a relationship, a relationship, let me say that again, a relationship with God the Father. Do you have that relationship? Do you have that confidence? Paul's laying it side by side here. He's saying, look, let's compare. You're you're relying on performance and purity and pedigree. There's another trinity. Let's lay it side by side. There's God the Father. We worship God as Father. Not only that, we worship by the Spirit. The Spirit bridges the gap between us and God. We had an incredibly spiritually rich week together. We prayer walked. We would walk and pray in these different neighborhoods, La La Cerrito, I'm not saying these right, by the way, La Cerrito, El Cerrito, rather, and Peronia, and La Limonada. We would go there and we would pray. And as we would pray, people would come and ask for prayer. We saw people uh, come to Christ over and over again. We saw people receive healing. It was amazing as we prayed. The Spirit was bridging the gap between us and God walking in the Spirit. We worship God by the Spirit, and of course, we worship God through Jesus Christ. He's the one who's interceded on our behalf. He is the one who's opened the way of access for us into the presence of the Father. It's a blood-brought privilege that we have through Jesus. And so how do we really worship God? What's the source of confidence we have? What is is the reason we're joyful? It's all because we have this relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, and that we're connected to them by the Holy Spirit. One God, three in one, Trinitarian. That's the real Trinity, he says. Now, why is Paul so fired up about all this? We we find out as we look at verse four. He says, I myself have reasons for such confidence. He's saying, Why am I confident? He said, I know, I'll know. i tell you why I'm confident, because of my story. Paul says, I used to think like you. That's why he's so passionate. That's why he's so fired up about saying, look, you dogs, you evildoers, you mutilators of the flesh, you're leading people astray. And the reason he knows you're leading them astray, because he was once the same way. That's what Paul did. Paul thought a certain way. So he's fired up and he calls it out and he tells a story. Listen to verses 5 and 6. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons To put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And now he lays out his resume. He said, circumcised on the eighth day, precisely the right time. Right on time he was circumcised. He says, he says, uh, of the people of Israel, he's no dog, he's no recent convert, he's a pure Israelite. Of the tribe of Benjamin, his namesake, King Saul, was the first king of Israel. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he spoke Aramaic in a time when most Jews no longer spoke Aramaic. He was one who had that language in his, in his back pocket. In regard to the law a Pharisee, he chose the most passionate, he chose the most narrow sect of, of, of Jewish tradition, the Pharisees, the ones who are separate, the separated ones. He chose to be a part of that group. And then he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, he hunted down Christians. That's what he did. And he goes on to say, as for legalistic, righteousness, faultless. In other words, there were 631 laws of the Mosaic law, the rabbinical law. He followed every every one of them. He said, you could test me on this. In other words, here's my resume. He was the best of the best. And once again, Paul says, now let's compare that. Let's lay this out and say, let's compare my resume to what really is important. And he goes on and he says in verse seven, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, everything a loss compared to Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This is what he says, that I may be found In him. Listen, Paul says, take my whole resume. Let's do a little accounting exercise here. He says, everything that was in the credit column, or I thought was in the credit column, he says, is now in the debit column. It's all a liability, is what he says. None of this, none of my resume, Paul says, impresses God. In fact, it's all a debt. But here's the great news he points out Jesus wipes out our debts forever. Christ is the one who has surpassing value. He is the ultimate credit. He's the one asset that has far greater value than anyone or anything else. That's Jesus. And Paul says, he is more important, he is bigger, I have way more credit, everything else is a loss, everything else is a liability compared to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point of this. That's what we see. Why do we have this confidence? Why do we have this this joy? Because Jesus has paid it all. We have everything in Jesus Christ. Everything else is a liability. Do you see yourself in that picture? Can you count everything that you would count as gain previously, everything you would count as an asset? Can you say all of it's rubbish? All of it's a liability compared through the greatness of Jesus, the ultimate credit in my account. That's the truth of the gospel. That's why we can, we can talk to guys who are just out in the streets murderously the night before and say, look, that can all be wiped clean through Jesus Christ. Everything you've done, you thought had worth, everything you thought that you've done that, that you can never get past, it can all be covered by the great Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what he puts out here for us. And he says this, he talks about a description at the very end of this passage, telling us what goes in the credit column. If it's all a loss, if it's all a liability, if it's all a debt, well, what goes into the the, the profit category? What goes into the credit category? Let's look and see. Picking up again midway through verse 9, he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. What goes into the the credit column? I'll tell you what it is, it's union with Christ. Union with Christ, this is a huge deal. In fact, you could say that, that central to the doctrine of salvation is this truth that we, through faith, trusting in God, are united with Christ. We're unified with Jesus. We're one with Him. We live in Christ. Don't overlook this. Don't imagine this as some small thing. It's the greatest truth of the, of the gospel, that we are united with Christ. Not only that, we have the righteousness of Christ. We have the righteousness of Christ. Listen, again, consider the guys that we met, that we prayed for, that said, yes, I want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. This is nothing they could ever do. It's nothing they could ever earn, of course. They get it by trusting, not by doing. It's how you and I receive righteousness. It's not by your doing. It's by trusting in Jesus and so instead of our cobbled together righteousness, what do we get? The righteousness of Jesus Christ is put on you and me. That goes in the credit column. Union with Christ. Righteousness of Jesus. Knowing that, we have sanctification in Jesus. We're sanctified in him. You know, this describes this, the, 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 su- becoming like him and sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. You know, Jesus suffered died, and was resurrected. It goes like that, right? He suffered on the cross. He gave his life on the cross to pay for sins. Hallelujah. Who's resurrected, brought back to life. But for us, it, it, it actually works backwards. For us, it works in reverse. It, back, it works from back to front for us. You see, we join firstly in Christ and his resurrection. We get to join in his victory first. You have the Spirit of God. If you believe in Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you. The Holy Spirit is working in your life. We're transformed. We have the resurrection power first given to us, having life in Christ, teaching us to obey. You know, we often tell people when they're saved, we didn't tell these young men this this past week, but often you'll hear people say, come to Jesus, he has a perfect plan for your life. Does that plan always feel perfect, church? No, we didn't tell those guys that because here's the truth of the matter. We're gonna join with him in his suffering and his death. Yeah, resurrection, we get the power of God in us and and we're joined with him and, and he's making us into his likeness. But then comes the suffering. Then comes the pain points, right? The perfect plan includes death and suffering. But that pain... The pain of suffering has a purpose, and here's what the purpose is, to kill sin in your heart. Pain is intended to kill sin, kill, kill sin in your heart and in my life, in your life. Suffering is designed to move us to repentance and to new heights of trust, that's what's happening when you're suffering. We're becoming like him in his death, you see? We're joining in his sufferings. And we, we, we are molded into the image of Jesus. We trust God more and more. I came across a quote by C.S. Lewis I want to share. That I think it's so appropriate and sums this up. God whispers in our pleasures, Lewis says. Speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. He says it is his megaphone suffering is to rouse a deaf world. Have you felt that? That's sanctification. That's what goes in the credit column, that God even takes your sufferings. He's using them for His good, His good in you, His good in the world. We become like Him in His suffering and in His death. We join with Him so we have in our column, we have, the, we have union with Christ. We have the righteousness of Christ. We have the sanctification where God is making us into his likeness, and we have the glorification. We join Christ in glory. We join him in triumphing over death. You have that. We join him with, with life with Christ forever, which begins now. Life with Christ forever. We join him in glory as well. That's what goes in the credit column, Paul says. And Paul says, that's all greater than anything you have in your resume. Anything I have in my resume. The glory of God, what God has done through Christ, is greater than it all. He says, put it all side by side. Jesus is all you will ever need. Jesus is all you could ever have. Christ is all. That message is the one that motivates us. Do things like go to Guatemala or partner with Urban Impact or share faith with our neighbors. We shared faith with a group of young men in La Limonada. And again, there were four who made eye contact and and expressed faith in Christ, who felt the conviction of their sins in that moment and wanted to turn to God. I I love that, and I want to pray for those guys. There's another guy. We heard about him, actually, before we got there. His name's William, and William's the gang leader. He was the guy who was controlling the music, actually. He kept on cranking it up loud and louder, but when we asked to pray, he actually turned the music off. And William was listening, and I lost sight of him when I was praying, and I was going around to the other guys and, and expressing, hey, you're forgiven in Jesus' name. I lost sight of William, but I caught him after we said amen, and I remember I said, hey, William. Hector was with me interpreting. I said, William. Do you want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus? And he looked down. I said, I said, listen, that gospel, the truth of, of Jesus, paying for your sins. The worst things that you've ever done. The worst things I've done. That's true. Would you receive the forgiveness of Jesus? Don't you want that in your life with him? He looked down again and he looked up. He's looking to see if his buddies were watching him. He looked up again, he's looking to see if his buddies watch him. And he backed up and went like this, said, no, I don't want it. So close. You could see it in his face. William wanted so desperately. He couldn't get over what his friends might think. He couldn't take up the courage to stand up to his sin and trust in God. I pray that he will. God's not done with him yet. Let me ask you, do you have the courage to face your own sin? Are you willing to to look past what everyone else might think about you And say, yes, I need Jesus. I want the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in my life. Maybe you need renewal in your life today. Maybe you've made that decision a long time ago, but you've wandered away, and you're living in sin and brokenness. Listen, the forgiveness of Jesus is for you. Do you want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus? You can have that today. Perhaps you'll think of someone in your life who needs this same message, who needs this forgiveness. You can go to them this week. You can share Christ with them. We should pray for them this morning. I want to tell you this. We can have a confidence, a confidence that's way bigger than your pedigree, your purity, your performance, or maybe in spite of your performance, in spite of your purity, in spite of your pedigree, we can have a confidence because of Jesus. Union with him, his righteousness, the sanctification that he's working in our lives. The hope of glory that's yet to come, we have that in the credit column if you will trust in Him. Lay down your sin, lay down your ways, lay down your pedigree, your purity, your own performance, and trust in Him. You can have the forgiveness of Jesus, which brings joy. Great joy! A reason to live this life with great rejoicing in the Lord. Let's go to the Father now and pray. Oh, God, thank you so much for this time together. We do thank you, Lord. We come rejoicing because of Jesus, the hope that we have through you, Father. We thank you, Lord, that that despite our our lack of purity, our lack of pedigree, our lack of performance, or perhaps in, in spite of the fact that we lean on those things too heavily, that you, through Jesus, have given us all the credits we'll ever need through his broken body on the cross, through his life given at Calvary, through his resurrection over sin and death of the enemy. We thank you, Lord, for what we have in Jesus. Oh, Lord, we come before you this morning, and I want to pray for William. I want to pray for his friends. I pray, Lord, that those young men, I know you're not done with them yet, that your grace would touch their lives that they would know they have a father, that they would know, God, that there's forgiveness for even the worst of things, the worst of sins, that you wanna do a work renewing them, touch their lives, Lord, today. I know, Lord, that there are others in this room who have people in their heart this morning, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, moms and dads, neighbors, coworkers, friends who don't know you. In this moment, in our hearts, We pray for those people, we pray for the people we love. We pray for those who are in our circles, Lord. We ask that this good news, this reason to rejoice, this confidence that we have through Jesus would touch their lives. Lord, thank you for Jesus, and I know, Lord, that some this morning they're itching to return to you. I pray, Lord, that in recognition of this great truth, that Jesus covers all our debts, that Jesus covers all of our liabilities, that He's the greatest credit we could ever have, that this would touch their lives. I pray, Lord, that we would turn away from our pursuit of, of purity as a way of pleasing You, our own purity. That we turn away from our own performance, trying to rely on our good works, we'll never be good enough. That we wouldn't lean on those things, but we would lean fully on Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone who's never done that before, I pray that they would turn to you and say, oh God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is the Savior. I believe he paid for my sins, the darkest of sins, the things that I know I'm guilty of, sin. And I believe that Jesus on the cross paid it all. And I desire to have, have his righteousness. I desire to be united with Christ. Forgive me of my sins, God. Teach me to live a new way. Oh, Lord, if there's anyone who desires to have that in their lives, I pray, Lord, that they would say, yeah, I want to have the forgiveness of Jesus in my life. Oh, God, we praise you. We thank you for your work in our lives, in our church, in our city, and around the world. Thank you, Lord, for a great Savior in Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his holy name. Amen.